0: Well, we're back in Romans chapter 12. So if you'd like to take your Bibles and, and open there, uh, that'd be great. That's where we're going to uh, be looking at this morning. In recent weeks, we've been working our way through this chapter, this, this great chapter, Romans 12. Um, I like to say we've been crawling through this chapter because that's, that's what we've been doing. In fact, I counted up. This is my 10th message on Romans 12. So that's going pretty slow, and we are only in uh, verse 11 this morning. I anticipate another six to eight messages or so from this chapter. Now, the reason why we've gone so slow is really because of the the density of the chapter. Um, It it, it has, in in these verses, 21 verses, it has over 40 commands in these 20 verses. That's like almost two per verse. Um, and we would do our, think ourselves a great disservice if we just skimmed by them. So what I've done is slow down and just say, let's, let's cherish each of these commands, instructions of how to walk, uh, just one by one, that we might be doers of the word and not merely hearers only. Um, but another reason why we slow down is because of the importance of Romans 12. Uh, really for us, it, the chapter shapes a picture of what, what the Christian life means and what it means in community and everything the church ought to be. I, I know of uh, some pastors who preach through this section called called Romans 12, body life. Just talking about the body and, and the life of how that should be together. But it really paints this portrait I've been trying to paint about how it is that we should interact as a, as a church family. And it all begins with verse 1 in the mercy of God. I appeal to you therefore brothers, Paul writes in verse 1. By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy. And acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, this verse i 've told you before is really the hinge of the book of Romans. It transitions from the first eleven chapters, which is about gospel, which is about life, into application uh, into christian living it 's really the the hinge of everything that that, that Christ and everything he 's done for us is here, Romans one through eleven And then we turn the page and this is how it is that we ought to act, how it is that we ought to respond. And we need to respond to the mercies of God. The fact that we escape the condemnation that our sin deserves through faith in Jesus Christ and what he did upon the cross for our sins. And this is so important that if you miss this in Christian living, if you miss Romans chapter 12, verse one, as the key hinge to all of your Christian life, you miss Christianity. What you have might be something, it might be religious, but it's not Christianity. I mean, if you miss the cross, if you neglect the cross, and dare I say, if you even assume the cross, you've strayed from Christianity. I love what J.I. Packer says about this. He says in his great book, A Quest for Godliness, talking about Puritans, he says, the traveler through the Bible landscape misses his way as soon as he loses sight of the hill called Calvary. In other words, when you you go through your Bible, have your mind and your eyes always on that hill, or of course that hill is where where Christ was, because when it comes to understanding the Bible, the cross must always be in plain view. If you lose sight of the cross, you've missed the meaning of the Old Testament. Because Jesus said, if you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for he spoke of me. The Old Testament was written to anticipate the cross. If you lose sight of the cross, you've missed the meaning of the New Testament because the New Testament explains the cross looking back. If you lose sight of the cross, as J.I. Packer says, you have lost your way. And when it comes to the Christian life, you need to keep the cross in view. And that, that's what Paul is meaning here when he talks about the mercies of God. That's what J.I. Packer is talking about where he's talking about the, this hill called Calvary. The crucifixion, Christ upon a cross, dying for the sins of those who would believe. He's referring to God's mercies here in chapter 12 and verse 1, how we haven't earned our salvation, but it's come by God's mercy, by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And this really changes everything, it is our motivation for service. Our motivation is the mercies of God and, and, and in light of the mercies of God, we're, we're to live differently. We're to submit to the Lord in his ways because he's been merciful to us, because our life isn't about earning any, anything. We aren't obedient to the commands of Romans 12 to, to earn God's favor. We submit to the commands of Romans 12 out of response to to, to one who's shown us mercy. And just working through chapter 12, right, verse 2 gives us the power for service. It is... The renewing of our mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the, is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The power in your life will come as your mind is renewed in the truth of God's Word and the, the glories of the gospel. And that's why we read our Bibles. That's why we meditate upon those truths. That's why we, we listen to Christian music to uplift our souls and our hearts. That's why we, we think on the things that are good and acceptable and perfect it's why we read good books and listen to good sermons just put the truth on our mind that we would respond rightly the attitude for service comes in chapter 12 and verse 3 and this attitude is so needful if a body's going to interact and walk appropriately for by the grace given to me i say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned, inherent in the Christian life is humility. Because that's how we stand before God. Is humility, is God has given us everything. In fact, that's the, that's the core of what it means to be a Christian, is to give up all your ways and just plead God. God's grace upon your life, knowing that you can't do anything, we are on the receiving end of the gospel, puts us in a low position, not only before God, but really before others. That all that we have is a gift from him is what we've received. And so we we give in this attitude of humility. And then just by review, again, through Romans verses four through eight speaks about how we need to use our gifts, We are are different and are all placed in the body differently and we all function differently. That's what he's talking about. For just as in the body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace that's given to us. And here's the key phrase. Let us use them. Use your gifts. It's the core idea of that. And if your gifts are in prophecy, use them in proportion to your faith. If your gifts are in service, then use your gifts in serving. If your gifts are in teaching, then use your gifts in teaching. If your gift is in exhortation, then exhort. The one who contributes with generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, some of us have speaking gifts. Some of us have serving gifts. Some of us have ability to exhort. Some of us have means to give. We all have the ability. Some of us have abilities to lead. We're called to use our gifts it's going to look differently as, as, as a hand is different than a foot different than an eye different than an ear different than a nose your gifts are going to be different. what you're going to use are going to be different but we're called to use them but beginning in chapter 12 and verse 9 though we see these things that all of us should do we're called to love and honor and walk in purity look at what verse 9 says let love be genuine that is unhypocritical true and true love for one another Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. That's a walk in purity. To hate the evil and to love the good. That's not just the evil out there. That's the evil in us. And we might love the good in us as well. And outdo and love one another with brotherly affection. There is that love again. But we are a family and we are to outdo one another in showing honor. Lifting others up high. Edifying them and encouraging. That's what we looked at last week, verse ten and and this week now we come to our text in verse eleven. Romans twelve and verse eleven, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Just say it together, all of us. It's right there on the screen. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Okay, now I have a little problem with math this morning. How many commands are in that verse here? I can't. Three. Okay, good. Thanks, Michael. I just I needed that. And um The three commands, the first one, by the way, is a negative command, don't be slothful. The second one is a a positive command, be fervent. And, And the third command, I think, really gives the overall application. We're talking about serving the Lord. So when you serve the Lord, don't be slothful in your zeal in serving Him. And when you're serving the Lord, be fervent in your zeal in serving the Lord. How not to serve and how we should serve. Now, appropriately this morning I have entitled my message, Serve with Zeal. My first point is simply this don't dally. Okay, that's kind of a kind of a fun way to say things, I guess. Don't dally. That's what Paul's saying, in the first command. Don't be slothful. Do not be slothful. See, when the Lord commands, we ought to be what? Quick to obey. Don't dally. And parents, maybe you know what this is like when you um, request, ask, command, whatever word you're going to use, your, your son or your daughter to do something. And uh, oftentimes there's that delay, that hesitation, that, can you come and help me right now? Oh, I don't know. I don't know, maybe, maybe the Brandon household is the only one that kind of faces those problems. No, no, are you with me on that? Kids, take this. Psalm 119, verse 60, I hastened and do not delay to keep your commandments, right? When the commandment comes, the psalmist says, I hastened to it. I ran to it. I kept your commandments quickly. That's not a not a dallying or the first half of Psalm 27, verse eight. David quotes the Lord. He says, Lord, you said, seek my face. And then David responds the second half of the verse. He says, my heart says to you, O Lord, your face do I seek. The idea here, this first command, that when God says seek His face, then you seek His face. When He says a command, you you do it. You don't dally. You are zealous. You're diligent. You're you're quick to obey. Now the word translated here, slothful, is used to translate an Old Testament word familiar with. You have any idea what word that that is in the Old Testament? What's a word for like slothful in the Old Testament? Proverbs, huh? Lazy is close. Yeah. There's another word. What is it, Thatcher? Slow? Close. Who's slow? The, slu- the sluggard. The sluggard. <clears throat> it's the word often used for the lazy man in Proverbs, right? Nathan, you're exactly right. The lazy man in Proverbs is the sluggard. He's the one that, that lies on his bed. As a door in its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The alarm goes off. Neat, neat, neat. Neat, neat, neat. It's the sluggard. He's all about excuses. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the streets. And there's no lion. But that excuse means there's no work to be done. And because of his unwillingness to work, the sluggard reaps poverty. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn and he will seek and harvest and have nothing because it's all been there for him for the taking and he hasn't taken it and he 'll miss out that 's the imagery that Paul brings out here, verse 11. When it comes to serving the lord, don 't be like a sluggard. be zealous, don 't dally, be eager. Now when it comes to the, the manifold ways this verse is translated, literal translations, paraphrase translations, it all, all gives a similar idea. Just uh, here's some of these translations. The common English Bible says this, don't hesitate in being enthusiastic. The Holman Christian Standard, don't lack diligence. The New American Standard, not lagging behind in diligence. The New International Version, never be lacking in zeal. I like the New International Reader's Version, never let the fire in your heart go out. Don't dally, be, be zealous. The New Living Translation, never be lazy. The message says, don't burn out the revised Standard version, never flag and zeal. They're all getting at the same thing. And one of the reasons why they're translated so differently and so varied in many ways is because this word uh, translated for for slothful um, is just only used just a couple times in the New Testament. But the idea is, is clear as it, as it comes across. So I get the same thing. Now, I love the picture of the ESV. It says, do not be slothful in zeal. Brings to mind the... Uh, Adorable imagery of the sloth. I mean, isn't that guy cute? How many of you think the sloth is cute? Steffi, do you think the sloth is cute? Yes, (laughs) of course she does. The mammal, Wikipedia says, noted for slowness of movement and for spending most of their lives hanging upside down in trees. There's Mr. Sloth. Okay, so a few years ago, Stephanie had... uh, a craze. That's why she said, yes, I like sloth. I had a little show and tell here. <clears throat> Steffi was into sloths. And so we bought her a calendar. The sloth calendar. This was 2017. So it was about 2016 that you were into this. And uh, she gave me permission to show you all these things. And one thing she says is make sure that it, I was into sloths. So like the sloth there in Steffi's life is past. But her sloth stuff is still with us here. And, and I think one of the reasons why she liked sloths is because, as the Washington Post says, sloths are the new kittens. <laughs> just, just pretty. And so here's, here's the calendar, you know, all these different pictures of sloths. And so this, this stayed on her wall for, uh, for a year, I guess. 2017. And um, so over the years, she's picked up some sloth stuff. So, she has got, um, here. what I have here. I've got, uh, this one's kind of fun. That's not the one? Okay. She's got stuffed animals, like too many to count. She's got this one, and here she got she got this little sloth, and uh, let's see, she got some more. In fact, as I remember, oh, yeah, you got, this is the one. Yep. Look at this one. Hello. Look at that one, and she got this one, and I, you got some beanie babies, right? Here's the beanie babies. You know, you know what this beanie baby's name is Slowpoke, Right? It's kind of kind of funny there. So she's got she got more here. She's got some sloth socks. Right? They got little sloths on them. She's got a. She's got a. She's got a, a sloth onesies. And um, <clears throat> what else you got here, Steffi? Oh, yeah. She's got a, a sloth blanket. Is that kind of cool? She's got a, a sloth carrying bag. Right? She's got some sloth paper clips. She's got a sloth, and the best is yet to come. She's got a sloth necklace, all nice. right, it's very pretty, right, sloth, upside down sloth on there, that's kind of kind of special, here's my, here's my favorite, okay, she's got a sloth mascot head, hey! And um, she doesn't have all her sloth stuff, she said, dad, I want to show you, but I got my sister stole some of my sloth stuff. Hannah's off at college at Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and she's got her sloth running team sweatshirt. I'm not sure, can you, can you read what it says? The sloth running team, what it says there? Let's nap instead, is, is what it's saying. Okay, so when it comes to serving the Lord, right? this is a negative illustration. We should not be like sloths. We ought not to hang upside down in trees all day long. Instead, we ought to be zealous for the Lord. You know, we ought to be like Stephanie who is zealous in gathering together sloth stuff. Sloths are on her mind. She's creative thinking about things that she can think about sloth. She gathered all her sloth stuff is what I'm calling it. But likewise, when it comes to Christian life, we should gather together... All the Lord's stuff. I mean, what I'm meaning by that is is gathering the stuff that would help us to think about, meditate about the Lord's business. We ought to gather together Christian books to inform us. We ought to gather together Christian calendars to inspire us. We ought to gather, we ought to listen to Christian music to uplift us and listen to Christian teachers to guide us. Maybe missionary pamphlets you put on the, your refrigerator, or church pictures that you put on your refrigerator so as to remember to pray for us. These things should all be used just to, to press us to be industrious when it comes to the service of the Lord. We should serve with zeal. And maybe you remember, maybe this probably just passed you by last week. I know it did me until this week. Remember when Paul was commending all the people in chapter 16 of Romans? Maybe it passed by your notice that he commended particularly the hard workers. Chapter sixteen, verse three: Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Or, or, or verse six: Greet Mary, who has worked hard for us. Or chapter sixteen, and verse nine: Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Or verse twelve. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. See, when it comes to serving in the Lord, He wants us to be fervent. He wants us to be hardworking, and He wants us to be zealous about our business. Remember the parable of the talents that, that Jesus told in Matthew twenty-five. I just want to read it to remind us of the importance of working hard with what God has given to us. Matthew twenty-five, fourteen for it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. To one he gave five talents, and another two, and another one, each according to his ability. And then he went his way. And he would receive five talents, when it went at once to trading with them, and he made five talents more. And so also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he received the one talent, went, dug it in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he had received the five talents, came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And also, he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here, and I have made two talents more. The master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. He didn't work. He didn't work at it. He wasn't fervent in zeal. He just took what he had, buried it, let it go, and then gave it right back to the master. And here's what his master said to him, Matthew twenty five twenty six. You wicked and slothful servant. Same word this year. It's here. It's we word only used, I think it's three times in the New Testament. It's used in the uh, Romans 12:11 and right here in Matthew 25:26, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents for to everyone who has more will be given and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not even what he has should be taken away. It's a scary thing. Even what he was given will be taken away. Because he didn't work. He wasn't working. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. and that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When it comes to the end. When it comes to the judgment. The Lord is going to reward those who worked hard. And he'll cast in outer darkness those who are lazy in serving him. And this is where you need to really understand Romans twelve eleven is response to God's mercy. And and it's it's not just an optional response, it's really a mandatory response in some sense, because if you don't respond in this way, uh, being, and you instead be slothful in zeal, it, it very well may be that Matthew 25 exists of you. It's because you haven't responded, you haven't understood, you haven't grasped God's mercy. So it's not that you, you go away to outer darkness because you didn't work hard enough, it's, you didn't work hard enough because you didn't understand and embrace the mercy of God. <clears throat> so, church family, let's not be slothful. Let's don't dally. Rather, my second point, let's be boiling. It's the second command. Here's the positive command. Be fervent in spirit. I've entitled this point with the word boiling because that's the word picture. Just we've seen the slothful picture, the sluggardly picture. So, likewise, here we have this boiling picture. Um, it pictures for us a pot of water on a stove or in those days upon a fire that is, is set there and heat is applied from the burner below or the fire and and what happens to a pot that's got heat applied to it well the the water starts starts just kind of moving and and little bubbles start coming up and they they start start bubbling a little bit more and then the, the water starts moving and and some of it starts escaping a steam off the top and pretty soon the, the boiling it's it's bubbling all over this water is just moving and it's agitated <clears throat> some of it's splashing outside the, the top if you listen it's making noise you might even say this water is alive and when it comes to serving the Lord Paul's telling us we ought to have similar fervor we should be like a, a pot of boiling water water just just stirred up and and moving and active rather than being stirred up by fire though paul tells us to be stirred up by the spirit being fervent in spirit now there's a question of interpretation here does the spirit here in verse 11 refer to the holy spirit or the human spirit in other words are we to be fervent in our spirits right with a the, not, not necessarily physically, but spiritually, which certainly flushed itself out physically, or are we to be stirred with the Holy Spirit? And the ESV notes out the debate in the footnote of the verse. It says down there, if you look at your footnote, and that says on the bottom, it says, or fervent in the Spirit. Most translators say the human spirit that Paul's talking about here. He's talking about our enthusiasm of serving the Lord. And uh, as commentators mostly address this issue, that that's what they, they believe as well, mostly. But almost always they point out, if they're going to address this issue, the important role of the Holy Spirit in this process. They say, well, of course, such vibrancy doesn't have your source in yourself. It comes from the Holy Spirit. John Murray, he said this way in his commentary. The Spirit has been taken to refer to the Holy Spirit... And so the thought would be fervent in the Holy Spirit. This meaning is appropriate, particularly in view of service to the Lord in the clause that follows. It is also true that only as our spirits are quickened by the Holy Spirit can we be fervent in our spirits. And although the term spirit is the personal name of the Holy Spirit and occurs frequently with this denotation, it also designates the human spirit and occurs often in Paul's epistles in the sense Since this reference to the human spirit is appropriate here, it's not necessary to refer it to the Holy Spirit. That's a lot of double talk in some regards, but he just says, you know, it is your human spirit, but the divine spirit, the spirit of God, has to be there, and that's present as well. None of them in other cells are are incorrect, but it's talking about the the same thing. James Montgomery Boyce says says, the same thing. He says, this probably refers not to the Holy Spirit, but to a personality that radiates the presence of Jesus Christ. On the other hand, this does not happen apart from the Holy Spirit, and in this sense, the translation of Spirit, capital S, is not wrong. Boyce then goes on to quote Donald Gray Barnhouse, which brings us back to the Gospels. That's why I want to quote this. He says, The glow of the Spirit is the warmth of the soul touched by the love of Christ. It cannot exist apart from the knowledge that we have been loved, that Christ gave himself for our sins, that we've been redeemed, that the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in our heart. Such knowledge causes us to yield in full surrender to him as Lord of all. The Holy Spirit who dwells in all believers will glow through those who allow him to fill and direct our lives. And see how true that is. It's the the fire of the the Holy Spirit that ignites our our spirits to serve the Lord with, with zeal. In Paul's admonition here, Isn't it an admonition really to to stir fire within ourselves as if it comes by our own strength? Rather, our spirits will be enlivened when the Holy Spirit comes in and quickens us and stirs us. I don't think it's an accident that when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost upon the believers there, the event was described as a mighty rushing wind. It was tongues of fire resting upon people in the room. It was the Holy Spirit coming with this this fire, this zeal, this passion. And and these words conjure up visions of a passion and and zeal. And these people, Pentecost, went out and changed the world. Um, A great biblical picture of this is Apollos. Acts chapter 18 and verse 24 describes him as a Jew, a native of Alexandria, an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. And when it came to preaching, he was fervent in spirit. So just just picture, a preacher, fervent in spirit. So you just picture that. The volume is increasing, more and more animated, working up a sweat. You know, some preachers have a handkerchief and they come and they wet themselves with, you know, just fervent as, as can be, pounding the pulpit and exhorting strongly. That's fervent in spirit. Here's a picture of fervent in spirit. It was homecoming this week at... Uh, Rockford Christian High School, this was the powder puff game. But this is, you, you've seen that, right? The pictures of the guys, they, they cover themselves with colors, right? And, and they go out, and they're, just, they're just passionate uh, about cheering for their team. You think about Stephanie or whatever in the crowd, the homecoming game, what are they going to be like? They're going to be going nuts, they're going to be going crazy, rooting for their team's But lest you think that this exhortation to be fervent in spirit can only be fulfilled by loud extroverts, know that there's a way that you can be fervent in spirit without bombacity as well. In fact, even in preaching, there are times when you can be very passionate with low volumes in a whisper. We say only one life, just one. Will soon be passed. living for christ that can be just as passionate as someone who is loud and uproarious that that can be described as fervent in spirit fervent in spirit is one who's just been impacted by by the lord it's it's psalm 34 i think it's verse three or four it just says um, um verse five psalm 34 verse five those who look to him are radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. That's a fervency of spirit when you're, you're, you're looking to the Lord and you have that shiny face, even without a word, that can be boiling over with zeal for the Lord. Moses, when he was in the presence of God, came down with his face shining. There's a fervency there of his spirit. And I think of the Proverbs 31 woman. She had a lot of fervency in spirit, though she wasn't loud and bombastic and energetic. She was energetic, but but in a in a subtle way, the Proverbs 31 woman who who rises while it's still night and provides food for a household who dresses herself with strength, opens her hands to the poor, opens her mouth with wisdom, has a teaching of kindness on her tongue, who will be praised from the fruit of her hands. That's not some bombastic, loud, energetic sort of thing. That can easily be described as being fervent in the Spirit. I think fervent in the Spirit just speaks about someone who's just, just passionate about God. In, in, in their own sorts of ways. I mean, consider strongly again, Romans 12, 6-8. We're talking about serving. Each of us have different ways in which to serve. We don't have all this bombastic outward, oh, fervent zeal, I'm boiling. Look at me go. There's some churches that just cater to type A personalities. And some churches that cater to different sorts of personalities. But this is all within the gifts that we have. We can be fervent in the Spirit. Let's move to my last point here. Let's serve the Lord. Verse 11 says, Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Simply, my question to you is Are you serving the Lord? Are you serving the Lord? Can you say with Joshua? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now maybe you're not ahead of a house, maybe kids, you can't say that, but can you say that I'm going to serve the Lord? Can you say I am serving the Lord? Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're not really serving the Lord. Like well, yeah, well I get, you're coming to church, right? But it might be you're not serving the Lord. You're you just the, the church is like this this added on thing. The Christ is like your, your afterthought. But that's not what the Lord wants. And if that's you, maybe it's because you don't know the mercies of God. Because I do believe if you know the mercies of God. That's the thing that stirs you. I say, if that's you, just repent and realize you call upon the name of the Lord and you, you will be saved. Confess with your mouth, Jesus, Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. But see, there's a warning. I mean, just think through the, the churches of Revelation that we preached through last summer. The church in Ephesus lost its first love. There was a time when they were passionate. But somehow, whatever that means, they lost their zeal. And the church still existed there still was this gathering of people there still was an identification of people but their love whether it's a love for god a love for others a love for evangelism a love for those who are outside whatever they just waned and they were not in a good shape we said repent lest you lose your lampstand they were still a church they were still there but they were lacking their love and i think that they weren't boiling and they were dallying and how easy that can be us. Or consider the church in Sardis. They had a reputation of being alive, but they were dead. Jesus says, awake, wake up and strengthen the things that remain. Get going, right? He's saying, be boiling, don't dally, be about it. And again, there's a church that had gathered that has a name that they're alive, but they're really dead. <clears throat> That's why... These churches in Revelation are particular warnings to us. The, the church in Laodicea was lukewarm, huh? on the fence, useless. There's useless to the Lord. And again, there was a gathered group of people who were there. These were church people who weren't stirring in their hearts, boiling, serving the Lord. Other things, it seems, captured their interest. They were churches naming the name of Christ, all had started well. The preaching of the gospel maybe these were second generation churches i'm not i'm not sure maybe there are people who who believed but sort of and kind of were drifting and kind of coasting along their interest wane well let me just ask you say okay am i serving the lord i just say what's your passion like like do you have a passion to serve the lord I mean, over the years, I've learned this about people. All you got to do is just start talking to people. Ask just a few questions and be quiet. Let them talk. And you know what they talk about? Their passions. What it is that they're into. What they like most. Here are just a, a few. I was thinking about politics. People's passions are politics. are going to Talk about politics, and there's plenty of politics to talk about in our day right now, this week. They talk about their family. For many people, a family can can be a passion for them. That's how they talk about. They talk about their kids this and their kids that. Or people talk about football. That's what they're talking about. They talk about the Bears are going to beat. Who are they playing today? I should I should know this. They're playing. I don't know. Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay that's right. That's right, they're playing Tampa. I know they're playing the Dolphins in two weeks, all right? But football is like all you're talking about. That's your passion. Or work. right? Some project they're working on, just to, that's their passion. That's what they're going to talk about. Or sewing, or, or boating, or, or camping, or video games. You just, just talk and just see what they're talking about. The, the, the latest thing, or the place they're going to go, the vacation, or when they're going to boat. Or games like chess and pool. I started a pool league last night, last week. I had a great time, but there are guys there who are really passionate about their pool. They're a lot better than I am. I mean, I, I, I play enough to be fair, but I'm very, very middle in this league. And there are some guys there whose passion is pool, for sure. Poems, cooking, concerts, art, wakeboarding, exercise, Hunting, shopping, school, photography—you just—I see, see what what people's interests are: hiking or history or. Reading, or novels, or collections, or skiing, or motorcycles, or snowmobiles, or or roller coasters, or coffee shops, or building projects, or musical instruments. I mean, it goes on, and on, and on, and on. What's amazing about each of these things is also this, is that there's a surface level where you can see them, but then you can get like deeper into them, and deeper into them, and almost all of these things you can get super deep into I mean, like, like for instance, Ivan and I, we, we like backpacking. And so for Christmas, my in-laws gave us a magazine called Backpacking. It's got all this sort of stuff. And you can start going into everything, just going deeper, deeper, deeper into all of these things. And I simply ask you this. When people talk with you, it's it interesting. A lot of these, There's nothing sinful about these things, okay? But it all needs to be kept in perspective. When people talk with you, what, what comes out? What are you passionate about? Is it these other things? Or Paul is telling us with this passion to serve with zeal that it ought to be top of your list, serving the Lord. A number one, top thing. That's where it's got to be. Because God doesn't want second-rate service. Because our lives should be all about serving the Lord. It should be all about Christ. It should be all about His people. All should be about making His power known. You know, Gary mentioned that about the, um, his time in the jail. And uh, he talked about these gang members make a lifelong commitment to their gang. Well, have you made a lifelong commitment to serve the Lord? Like, I'm in this thing. I'm never getting out. This, this is where I am. This is my tribe. Never moving away. That's the sort of commitment the Lord wants regarding our service to Him. In, in Matthew chapter 8, there was a time when Jesus saw a crowd around Him He gave orders to go to the other side. And there was a scribe that came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. It's a great, great comfort coming in. And Jesus then said, foxes of holes and birds of the air of nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So he says, I'm going to go wherever you go. He says, "Okay, well, I don't have any place to lay my head. Are you still going to follow me? You see what he's saying? He, He wants total commitment. And then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, follow me and allow the dead to bury their dead. Like, I, I don't even take second place to burying your father in this instance. You need to follow me now. See, when it comes to follow the Lord, it's, it's all in or it's nothing. You know, when Paul was speaking to the Ephesian elders, he says, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. His life wasn't of any account to himself. He, in other words, right? he wasn't just pursuing these, these things he wanted to pursue or, or these side trails or his other interests. No, his interest was dead set on serving the Lord. And that's what he was going to do. Now, You get me right, right? I mean, all these things are there. And especially if you use these things to, to use them for the kingdom. And they can be used for the kingdom. I think it would just be used selfishly and it's just all you do. But, but consider the cost that, that Jesus even said. He said, now, great crowds accompanied him. This is Luke 14. And when the great crowds were coming, lots of people coming, this is the message he delivered. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife or children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king of war, will not first sit down and deliberate, whether he is able with 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a far way off, he sends out a delegation to ask for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you... Who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is the call of Romans 12:11 is to give yourself completely to the Lord. He says, "If I'm not first place, I'm no place. And so many people can see whatever, service the Lord just like an add-on of what it is they do. But when, when you see life as all of worship, then you begin to see your work as worship. You seem to see your, your discipling of your children as worship. You seem to see the family time as worship and your opportunities to reach out to your neighbors as worship and serving the Lord in whatever way you can. It's far beyond a Sunday morning. It's far beyond a weekend in the jail. It's far beyond a retreat. It's, it's all focused upon a serving the Lord is my supreme passion. Everything else dangles off of that. In the way that God has gifted you. Romans twelve six through 8. God's gifted you in, in a way. Are you using that gift in the way He's gifted you? So maybe here today and not serving the Lord causes you to repent. Maybe you've got some looking layered onion which just looks like you are. I just say no. Serve the Lord deeply. Maybe... That you're serving the Lord, but yet you're growing weary in the work. Brian read 1 Corinthians 15, the very uh, 50 to 58, the very last verse. He read, and I just want to repeat it again, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your, your labor is not in vain. Just brothers, just. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Always be abounding in your service with zeal. Paul told those in Galatia, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we shall reap. If we do not give up, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. He says, don't give up. You'll reap what you sow. Press on. Keep going. There's a time of harvest. So continue to go and serve the Lord. I love the hymn. That's what I'm going to close with. Right? I've had three points in the poem. It's like the perfect sermon, right? Horatius Bonar wrote this hymn. Maybe some of you know it. Go labor on is the Tylus the hymn. I, I'll just read a few of these stanzas. Go labor on, spend and be spent. Thy joy to do the Father's will. It is the way the master went. Should not the servant tread it still? Go labor on, tis not for naught. Thy earthly loss is heavenly gain. Men, heed thee, love thee, praise thee not. The master praises what are men. Go labor on, your hands are weak, your knees are faint, your souls cast down. Yet falter not. The prize you seek is near a kingdom and a crown. Go labor on while it is day. The world's dark night is hastening on. Speed, speed thy work. Cast sloth away. It is not thus that souls are won. Men die in darkness at your side without a hope to cheer the tomb. Take up the torch and wave it wide, the torch that lights time's thickest gloom. Press on, faint not, keep watch and pray. Be wise, the erring soul to win. Go forth into the world's highway. Compel the wanderer to come in. Press on and in thy work rejoice, for work comes rest, the prize thus won. Soon shalt Thou hear the Master's voice, the midnight cry, Behold, I come. Let's pray together. Lord, I I pray that we, God, this morning would be renewed in our zeal and our passion to serve You. That means different things for different people. Because You've gifted us all differently and we play different roles in different places. But I, I pray, God, that our hearts would be the same that we would desire to labor on and to press hard for You. God, to serve You with zeal. God, with passion. And, And Lord, I know that lasting passion can only happen through Your Spirit stirring us by Your mercy and by Your grace. God, so I pray for Your Spirit to come to us and with us, to stir us passionately, to to seek after You with zeal. I I pray we would see this perspective, as Horatius Bonar said, of the, the hour that's coming soon and how little time there is and how many people are walking in darkness. God, You help us to love and serve and give and extend and be trampled on. God, all for the name of Christ. God, we might serve in that way. So strengthen us, O God. Help us to be a church of servants who seek to love you and serve you with all of their hearts, for all of their lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.